Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew. Repeat after me. Bereshit. Bera. Elohim. Et. Hashemayim. Ve'et. Ha'aretz. Together. Bereshit. Bera. Elohim. Et. Hashemayim. Ve'et. Ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. And uh, you can get out your phones and go to your Calvary app and go to sermons and click on sermon notes and you'll have the notes. And uh, I'm having to do that today due to other technical difficulties. So that's what I have. Uh, what I have is exactly what you have. So um, I appreciate those uh, young ladies' testimonies. I identify with Jocelyn. I would just correct her. This is not slightly terrifying. This is absolutely terrifying. And it is every time I stand up, okay? So uh, I get that. And, and uh, with Millie, I also identified with it is also terrifying when you realize you're the big kid now. Um, that is a big deal. So I uh, really appreciate their testimonies and, and uh, our kids going out there. And sorry to call them kids. That's old man language. So apologize if that offends anybody. But uh, all of our young, uh, ki- uh, young adults, young uh, students that, that go out there and, and, and do what they're asked to do, uh, they, they just volunteer and they work and then God works in their heart and life. And that is a great benefit for them that they will always cherish. This morning we're in Genesis 18. We are going through this. Um, I will be, uh, by the way, this is a last minute announcement. So today at 4.30, the men of the church are going to meet. And if you would like to come back, you can do that. And we're going to pray for the coming school year for our students, our teachers, uh, the administration, uh, all types of schooling, uh, whether it is uh, the government school, the home school, the private school. We want to uh, pray for this coming year for our students. They begin, uh, I know in the public schools, they begin on Tuesday, so um, the kids will be there on Tuesday. So uh, if you can come back at 430, the men are going to be in prayer for that. And, uh, and so I appreciate uh, being called to prayer, and I uh, hope you can come do that. Today we're talking about a road of justice and mercy. My, my wife asked me, uh, what is that, that graphic? And uh, one of our uh, great helpers, Debbie Conover, one of our ladies, she helps me with those things every week. And I said, she said, what do you want? I said, two men walking. And that was the closest. She said, I had to blur it just because it doesn't look like, you know, Abraham and Jesus walking, but that is who it's supposed to represent. Uh, and so she blurred it just to kind of make it two men walking there. But, but that's not representative justice and mercy. Jesus is going to talk to Abraham about justice and mercy and include him in the decision-making of what's about to happen in chapter 19. We won't get to what happens, but we will get to this setup here we find in chapter 18. And since I'm kind of going a chapter at the time to give you these big overviews of what's happening, uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but if you would pay very close attention to verse 1, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the, of the day. The hymn there is Abraham, this continuation out of chapter 17, and Abraham is getting these visitations from the Lord himself. And so, would you bow with me in prayer as we see what Jesus says to him. Father God, in Jesus' name, we come before the throne. And Lord, as we look back, we are realizing how far back that from the very beginning, 
Lord, you are already uh, laying out the groundwork for our salvation. And so, Lord, we pray that this day we would see wonderful things out of your word. Open our eyes, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we, we come to 18 here, and uh, I, I just kind of said that, and if you weren't here before, or if that's a new concept for you, anytime God appears in physical form in the Old Testament, we believe it to be the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ himself. Several reasons for that. One is that the Bible tells us in Hebrews that God is a spirit and that he cannot be seen by the eyes of men, that we will not uh, you cannot see God. And in fact, even in Revelation, he is represented as being clothed in light. You see the light of the Father, but you never see the Father. But Jesus, we see. He put on flesh, he became a man, and he is the representation, Hebrews also tells us, of God, the exact representation of God in human form later on. So in the Old Testament, when God appears, we believe him to be the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes, and even in his very title, he is a spirit. And Jesus said, you don't see him, but just like the wind, you see the result of what he does. As you see the trees blowing in the wind, so when the spirit moves, you see the movement of what he's doing in our lives. So that's a brief explanation of all of that. But here's what I want you to take home with you today overall. And that is God has done the impossible in his judgment and mercy. God has done the impossible in his judgment and mercy. I'm going to go ahead and define that because I want you to be looking for it. The impossible thing is that you or I should go to heaven. That's absolutely impossible because to go to heaven, heaven is a place of perfection and none of us are perfect. None of us are innocent. We are not born innocent. We are born a sinner needing a savior and so the only person so it is impossible for God who is perfect to allow imperfection into his heaven in fact that's a good question you ought to ask yourself if you were to die in the next few minutes and you happened to, and you were standing before God and if God were to ask you the Bible does not say he will ask this question but I just want to spur your thinking if God were to look at you and say why should I let you into my heaven what would you say and that's where the impossible comes in. Because the only right answer to that question is, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. So, you and I have a very serious problem. And that is, we are imperfect creatures hoping to go to a perfect place. That God says, I'm of pure eyes than to look on sin. He can't even look upon us. So, God did the impossible. He gave us mercy because he fulfilled his own justice. God's justice is the soul that sins, it should die. And then Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. He took all the sin of mankind on himself. He, the Bible says in Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin. He became the very nature of sin. And in that becoming that, he nailed it to a tree, the Bible says in Ephesians. He took the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, nailing it to a tree so that we could become, it says in Corinthians, the righteousness of God in him. And so we bow before Christ because he paid the justice that we could get the mercy. And only God could have done that.
No man would ever have been able to do that except for the man who was also God, Jesus Christ, who in his body did everything he did as a man so that he could win for us the right to die in our place. So we go back to Genesis 18. I lay all that out because I want you to catch what God does in Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, the Bible says, The Lord appears to Abraham at the, Abraham at the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of, in, uh, of his tent and he the day. But I want you to notice what happens. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Abraham jumps to be hospitable to these three men. And he says, O Lord, but this is not like an address of God himself. Jesus is paying Abraham a visit. This is a special visitor to Abraham. And Abraham acts hospitably toward the Lord Jesus Christ and these two other men. There's three men. And you say, well, who are the other two guys? You said this was Jesus. Who are the other two guys? Well, the Bible doesn't really define it, but we believe it to be a couple of cherubs, a couple of the mighty warrior angels, because they're fixing to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what's about to happen. Next chapter. We're not get there today. Just remember that, though. And so, you got Jesus and these two mighty angels with him. They're not identified. They're not told, we're not told who they are. But they're there. And so, Abraham rushes out to be hospitable to these two men. I don't know if that reminds you of this verse, but there's a verse in Hebrews that says in Hebrews 13, be careful to entertain strangers for some have entertained angels unawares. They did not know they were doing it, but they entertained actual angels. Abraham entertained these two angels. He, he brings them in. They, they, they're appearing in physical form. Uh, we don't know how all that works, but somehow uh, the Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared in the upper room in a physical body. They're all screaming, it's a ghost. He went, oh, really? Do ghosts eat? Here, feel it. Touch it. Give me some fish. He ate it. He was in a physical body, yet he would disappear out of their presence. He came into a locked room without opening the door. There is something about that world into which we will enter if we know Christ. Uh, well, even if you don't know Christ, you're going to enter into that world, only it won't be heaven if you don't know Christ. And you will physically suffer in hell forever. Now, that's just a fact. You got these two places, two choices. It's given unto men. Which way are you going to go? It's in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not in hell but have eternal life in heaven. Right, exactly. And so you see the two choices that man has. And which way will you go? Will you go with, with heaven or hell? So, so these two Angels can appear as men, physical men. Jesus appears in a physical manifestation in the Old Testament. But in that, he confirms a promise to Abraham. We don't have to go through all that Abraham does, but boy, he rushes around. And, and you know, we read this in the modern world. You think like they ran to the freezer, got out a pack of meat, thawed it out in the microwave, you know, cooked it real quick. No, they have to go kill something, dress it out, you know, bleed it out, cook it, grab, you know, this takes a long time, but they do it quickly, the Bible says. So, I don't know how long that is, but they, they're hanging out, so there's a lot of time there to talk. And in verse 9, 
they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? Now, why would they ask about Sarah? I want you to take you back to last week in chapter 17. Remember what I said, that God is talking to Abraham by himself there. And he says, and to Sarah, and he gives her promises. She's not present when he talked to him in chapter 17. He says to him, Sarah is going to be also receive these promises. And in that day, as I told you, in the context of that day, as Abraham heard that, that doesn't even make sense. Women don't get these kinds of benefits in life. And yet God promised them to, to Abraham to tell Sarah. In, in a sense, I know they're on a different mission, but the real mission of God is not about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's about this meeting with Abraham. I'll, you'll, uh, hopefully you'll see that at the end of this. And, and, and so they ask, where is Sarah? Because Jesus wants to tell her personally about the promise that he's going to give. Where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she's in the tent, you know, where she's supposed to be. And they're making y'all's food. I thought, yeah, I, I didn't know if you're going to get mad, happy. You might not have caught what I just said. She's in the kitchen. The Lord said, I'm going to return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent behind him. And Sarah, and now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And so Sarah laughed to herself. She did not go, bah, ha, ha. She just went, yeah, no, that ain't happening. Right? That's laughing to yourself. She said, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Which means that don't work anymore. (laughs) I'm going to go on because I'm probably turning very red. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, you've said that. Do you realize this is the origination of it? When God says, is that too hard for God? Abraham, remember, I'm the creator. Remember, I brought the flood. Remember, I've been in control of all this. Remember the stars I showed you. Remember, not only that, but I'm the one that's above the stars. I can change even the laws of physics. And I was going to do this for you and... Sarah is now laughing, and at the point in time, I will return this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, you laughed. <laughs> I, I know the, the Bible language, but you did laugh, you know. But God goes, no, no, you, you laugh. How many times has God wanted to do something miraculous, and you went, yeah, but. Here's how Baptists say that. That won't work. We tried that before. Or we ain't never done it that way before. God is looking for people who are willing to try the impossible. God's looking for people who will believe him to do his will no matter how difficult that looks. No matter how hard that seems. No matter how overwhelming it is. And in the Bible, I, I, you know, I, I don't mean this personally to you guys. But what I mean is I, I'm trying to help us all to get to the place where we will at least believe God for the impossible to, to see him do something mighty. But the Bible goes beyond that in some people's lives like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, and if God doesn't do it, we're still not going to do what you want. We're going to do what God wants. Yeah. 
right? And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that so many people throughout Scripture and history would not bow the knee to what the world said, but would rather die obeying God than live on, in this world disobeying God. And so we all need to get to that spot. And God says, anything too hard for the Lord. And so then the Bible says, the men set out from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abram went with them to set them on their way. Now notice they looked down upon this. There's language there that you need to catch. God is looking down, which always has this sense of, judge, of justice and of judgment. Okay, you following me? He could have just said he looked at Sodom. It says he looked down at Sodom. And these are cities in a valley. There's something geographical here. But, and the Lord said, and verse 17 is pivotal. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, we run over that very fast, don't we? We stop at the question God asked. I, I'm just saying, reading it, I stop at the question God asked in my thinking. Shall we hide from Abraham what we're about to do? That is known as a rhetorical question. It gets a rhetorical answer. Do you think that Jesus is really asking the Father and the Spirit in that moment, all right, do you want me to hide this from him or do you want me to tell him? Let's, let's have a quick little confab here. Now, he, he knew that before he showed up and Abraham saw him, right? Wouldn't you agree? He knew before the foundation of the world that this event was going to happen because God knows everything, nothing surprises him, nothing happens by accident. So why would he ask that question? Because he wants us to stop and go, wait a minute, God's going to reveal something here? God is going to bring us into something? And now I need you to think of the context of the next chapter, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that is what God is looking at. And he goes, are we going, are we going to hide it or are we going to tell him? He's doing that so we'll think about it. What is God doing at this moment? The Bible is telling us that he is bringing Abraham into the justice that he's about to bestow upon Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll get to it next week. Some people might think it's not right to kill a whole city because of that kind of sin. Is it not right? Is it more right then to let people who visit that city to be raped and murdered? Because that's what happened to strangers who showed up at Sodom and Gomorrah. Where's the justice in that? And God is a God of justice and mercy. And how do you balance that? And he brings Abraham into the decision. The answers that I am trying to get us to look at happen after the question. Look back at the text. It's always in the text. Anytime you ask a question about the Bible, people start saying their opinion. Look back at the Bible, see what the Bible says, okay? Look what it says. Because Abraham is going to become a great nation and the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Hold on a second. How are all the nations of the earth going to be blessed in Abraham? I'm asking that question of you. Somebody tell me. Thank you. Man, the kids right on the front row got it right away. He's going to bless all the nations of the earth through Jesus. How long is it before Jesus comes? I want to point out that Jesus is standing here setting up his coming. I mean, now, now get your mind around that. 
Jesus is talking to Abraham and he says, hey, we're going to let him in on this, uh, Abraham, since, uh, uh, you know, he is going to be the guy whose descendant gives birth to me thousands of years from now. And when he does, through me, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Isaiah said he's a light to the Gentiles. Somebody please say amen. Amen. For I have chosen him. Uh, people get all freaked out when you give that different names, but just look at what the Bible says. God says, I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children, teach them how to walk with God and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. He is telling us, I want Abraham to understand this so he'll teach it to his kids, he'll teach it to his kids, so that when they get the law, they'll understand justice and mercy and what judgment means and justice means so that when I do come as a miracle child in the future and I am crucified on the cross, they will understand that all that justice and all that judgment was poured out on me that I could pay for their sin, that they could be saved. That's what's happening right there. And if that don't give you a holy hallelujah in your heart, let me just pause there and point out what's going on. Jesus appears to Sarah and says, you're going to have a baby. She says, that's impossible. Jesus appears to a virgin and says, you're going to have a baby. And she said, how's that going to be since I've never known a man? God's going to do it. Jesus said, I'll visit you next year. You'll have a baby. The angel says to Mary, the thing that will be found in you is of the Holy Spirit. A miracle child is going to be born. And Abraham, it is through his descendants. And that miracle child that Sarah is going to bear is the first in a long line leading us to the Lord Jesus Christ who is telling her it's going to happen. Now, I tell you, that'll make you bump into walls because it'll blow your mind and you're going, whoa, how did that happen? That the Savior will be born and the Savior is telling them how it's going to work. I, I, and so the men turn from there and they go toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham drew near to him and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And then he starts debating with God. If you find 50 righteous, no, I won't do it if you find 50. How about 45? God says, okay, we're not for 45. And now he gets bold. How about 30? How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? And all the way down to 10, Jesus says, nope, I won't do it if I find 10. Now, again, let me ask a question. Does Jesus know how many righteous people are in Sodom? Yeah, absolutely. It amounted to three. And the Bible says lot. His wife messed up. We'll get to that next week. But God didn't just turn into pillar salt because she glanced over her shoulder at the noise going on behind her. She longed to go back to Sodom. She loved that sin and turned into a pillar of salt. And the Bible says the righteous man, lot. That's all they got that counts as the righteous one person. There's a question that can be asked, and most people get the answer wrong. I'm sure you wouldn't, but I'm not going to ask you because I don't want you to be embarrassed. 
Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Most people say, oh, because of the sin there. And they'll even say specific sin. Oh, because of the sin there. No, he destroyed those, those cities that was multiple ones because of the lack of righteous people. Now, will God destroy your house for the lack of righteous people? Will God destroy your community for the lack of righteous people? Your city, your state, your country, this world? We know the full story now. We know that God has made available the way of righteousness in Christ, and the Holy Spirit seals us so that we will walk in Him. But when we, when we ignore that, when we do not seek to walk in the righteousness of Christ, and, and none of us are, listen, I'm not saying you have sinless perfection. That's a... That's an idea that people get. But will we seek his will above our own? Will we be obeying him? And so we come down here to the end of the chapter. And the Lord went his way in verse 33. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. And then in the next chapter, these two men are identified as two angels in chapter 19 and verse 1. I just want you to, to see what is happening here, that, that there's this promise that God confirms with Sarah, but then there is a relationship with Abraham, that God included Abraham in righteousness and justice and mercy. Why? Because God, through Christ, includes us in righteousness and mercy, in justice and mercy. How? Because we know the justice of God. We know the judgment that is to come. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when he comes, would convict us and convince us of judgment and righteousness and judgment to come. He would, he would reveal to us that this is sin. We would understand that, not just with a piece of paper that says this is the law, but in, from our innermost being, we would go, that's sin, that's disobedience to God, and that deserves God's justice. But God put his justice on Christ that I could have his mercy and go free. And that we would not want to keep that to ourselves, but want to share it with everyone. Remember, in chapter 17, it's not just Jewish people. It's all the nations of the world can come into relationship with God. It's not just a strip of land on the west coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's all the world is going to belong to him. And God is here with Abraham starting that process that he includes us in his work of saving the world. And all we have to do is talk to somebody about him. All we have to do is tell somebody about who he is and what he can do for them. Jesus brings Abraham this discussion. And Abraham, listen, don't fault him for praying for God to deliver these wicked cities. He's thinking about Lot. He's not even thinking about, I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. But I, I got a feeling he's just like, man, my nephew's down there it, you're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. My, my nephew's going to die. I don't know why he didn't say, can you get my nephew out before this happens? But he's pleading with God. Do you plead for those who are dying and going to hell? Or do you say, oh, they're getting what they deserve? Whoa, hold on. You deserved it too. The only thing I, you know, sometimes something happens, we go, I didn't deserve that. 
that's not fair. You're right, it's not fair God saved you. And the only thing any of us deserve is hell. And anything we get better than hell is mercy. Because that's all we deserved. And God is getting Abraham to see this righteousness and this mercy that he wants to bring. And that through Abraham, he's going to bring the, the, the salvation of the world. And we, because we live in a, uh, maybe you grew up in a home that went to church or you, we, we get to know Christ, we don't realize how much God has held back his justice for us to give people an opportunity to repent. If it not been for the Lord's patience, we'd all be in hell already. And God has held back his judgment so that we have an opportunity to go into the uttermost parts of the world and tell them about Christ. Well, that's a quick overview. There's a lot of details in this chapter, as I say every week, because there are. But I want you to catch that big theme. It blew my mind when I was like, I, you know, it's a lot of facts. What am I going to do with this? What am I? And then through several things, the Lord went, do you notice what's going on there? This is a miracle birth. Jesus' birth is going to be a miracle. He's the one talking to them. It is through this line that Jesus is coming, and he's setting this up. And I've heard other people, and I was asked a couple of questions. I went, oh, my goodness, look at that. It, it, it is, it'll blow your mind. But you see, two men walking, a relationship with God. You know, God actually describes that relationship. We, we kind of think of it like I'm wandering around the world, and I'm lost, and then I somehow stumble upon Christ and I get saved. But the reality is that Christ comes alongside us and he walks with us. And salvation is referred to as walking in the way with God. In fact, the church did not get the name Christian until later, way after. And the Bible tells us that the Christians, they were first called Christians uh, at Antioch. Is that right? Uh, that because it means a Christ-like person. But until then, they were followers of the way. In other words, there were people that walked on God's path. And that was the original name of those who believed in Christ, followers of the way. We mention all the time the, the, the five young men who in the 50s died at the hands of the Indians in uh, the Alka's uh, tribe in South America. But the people that are saved out of that tribe refer to following Christ as walking the Jesus path. God is calling us into fellowship with him, to walk with him as we walk through this world. And all through the New Testament, the language is given to walk to walk with Christ, to walk in his ways. It means the manner of our life, how we walk. And so I, I just want you to see that. And I want you to see back to basics. This is where it starts, where God comes and visits Abraham and walks with him through that process and brings to him this message. So what about you? Well, I've got some very simple things this week, okay? First of all, welcome strangers into your life. Because you don't know when you're going to run to an angel. So welcome some strangers into your life. You heard these young ladies, uh, Millie specifically was talking about making friends and being around other people. Some people are, have more struggle with that than others. But God will always bring somebody into your life if you're looking for them. And in fact, he'll bring many people into your life in momentary times. Do you take advantage of those times to see, to minister, to speak about Christ, to bring him up. 
to talk about how we can be saved. Secondly, ask God to do something impossible through you. I just want to challenge us all to say, Lord, I want you to do something that's impossible through me. You know what that might be? That might be you do talk to someone and they get saved. That's impossible. But God will use you to do that. You say, well, that's easy. That's how it works. Well, statistically, about 98% of us will never do it. About 3% will try and it won't, they don't think anything ever happens. Only about 2 or 3% ever talk to people and they get saved. Now, I don't know if that statistic's true or not. That's what is always reported. But I will say this. It won't happen if you keep your mouth shut. The only sin God cannot overcome is your silence. That's not original with me, but I sure like to say it. And so, ask God to do an impossible thing to you. It doesn't have to be that. God wants to work through your life. And then, lastly, this week, express gratitude for a Savior that became a man. He shows himself as a man here in this chapter. He is going to put on flesh in a permanent way so that when he dies on the cross, he's a man. And here's another question sometimes people don't think about. And that is, where is that body of Jesus that hung on the cross? The Bible tells us in Hebrews it's seated at the right hand of God. Jesus in that body is seated at the right hand of the Father, awaiting the final just judgment when he will return and take us all to be with him. What are you going to do about that between now and then? Let's pray. Father, as we come before your throne, Lord, we need to trust you. And right now, I would just publicly ask all of us, myself included, do I trust God? Do I obey God? Am I walking with God? And that right now, we would determine that we're going to listen to God, that we're going to walk with God that we're going to have that kind of a relationship with him. We will say good morning to him every morning. We will, we will consult his word every day. We will pray to him in every situation. And we'll be very aware that he is walking the path and that we walk a path with him. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, Father, that you've set out a way for us. And so we know we have a path to walk, but you walk it with us. And so... While you're there, will you commit yourself to praying and to walking with God? Then also, will you believe that God can do an impossible thing through you? It's not going to look like this. This is a very specific fulfillment here. But God can do impossible things through you. He can heal hurts. Miracles can happen. He can take care of situations in your life and the life of others and there all of us have to go through some dark times but God is going to redeem it for his glory and so can you do that can you walk through that with him and ask God to do the impossible through you will you just be willing to be hospitable to those around you to be kind to be loving, to provide a need that somebody might have. Because you may be serving an angel. God may be giving you an opportunity to serve him. And then lastly, are you walking with God? And if you're not, will you begin this day to walk with God?
Will you open your life and heart to him and ask him to come in and be the difference in your life? Lord, convict us of our need. May we cry out to you who is the one who is full of mercy, full of goodness and kindness toward us. We thank you that if it had not been for the Lord on our side, we would have all perished. But because you loved us, because you gave your life for us, we have been saved. Lord, may we not keep that news quiet, but may we shout it from the rooftops. In Jesus' name, amen.